Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Glad that we can be here together to worship God. If you are visiting with us this morning, thank you. Thank you so much for being here, for taking out the time out of your week uh, to start your week worshiping God. This morning, we're going to continue a series that we began in January, and we did about a solid month on uh, the Better series in January, and we have hit it once a month. Uh, from then, that's kind of our plan. This morning, we're talking about being better at service or being better servants. And we'll be in Philippians chapter 2 here in just a few minutes. So if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, if uh, you were using one of the black books on the pew in front of you, the pew Bibles, that starts on page 980. 980. Philippians chapter, we'll actually start in chapter 1 and go work our way into chapter 2 here in just a few minutes. Uh, before we get to our sermon, I do want to let, make sure everybody knows about a few things that are coming up. As uh, Rob mentioned in his prayer, uh, our lads, leaders, young men, uh, some of them who uh, did some of the, the singing and uh, speech and that sort of thing, they'll be leading our services tonight. Uh, and then the young at heart have a uh, chocolate uh, banquet for them afterwards. So I hope that you'll come and be a part of that. We're looking forward to uh, really working with that. Uh, lads, leaders is a great program. If you're unfamiliar with it, it takes uh, girls and boys and teaches them some very important uh, leadership traits, uh, some talents and some abilities. Uh, one thing that I'm, I'm excited that Jefferson Avenue is committed to is not just learning all of those skills and getting better at all those things just for the convention. Uh, there's a weekend that they do every year, uh, actually over Easter weekend, and it's a great thing, uh, but we want to be able to use these talents and abilities for God's glory outside of just the convention. So our, our puppet team uh, has already performed uh, a couple different times, and uh, our young men actually uh, last Sunday, uh, a lot of our last leaders men and then some of our, our other young guys went to another church and led a Sunday morning service. So uh, they'll be leading a Sunday night service for us here tonight. Hope that you'll be a part of that. Uh, two weeks from yesterday, uh, we have the Saturday of our Love Where You Live weekend. Uh, we want to be serious about being servants here at Jefferson Avenue. We want to reach out and love our community. Uh, so in two weeks uh, from yesterday, we're going to have a Saturday where we have uh, five different service projects that you can be a part of. Uh, some of it's landscaping. Some of it is uh, gathering uh, material for the pregnancy center uh, and various things that you can be a part of. The sign-up sheets for that are all right outside these doors on the project board. If you have not already signed up for it and not a lot of you have already signed up for it. Uh, please make sure that you sign up for it uh, tonight, uh, today, uh, Wednesday. Let's get a whole crew, get all of those uh, service projects fully manned so that we can uh, get all of that work done. Uh, on that Sunday, uh, we'll have a regular morning and, and worship and Bible class. Uh, and then that Sunday, the, the 7th, May the 7th, uh, we will have praise in the park from about 4 to 7 p.m. Uh, we're still working out a few of those details, but we'll be at Dogwood Park, uh, and we want you to be there, and certainly for you to encourage and invite your friends and family and neighbors to come and join us there as we uh, worship God in uh, at Dogwood Park in the amphitheater area. Uh, and then the next... Saturday, May the 13th, uh, we have an area-wide singing that not only Jefferson Avenue is going to be a part of, but lots of other churches uh, around our area are going to be a part of. So lots of things going on, lots of things that you can be involved with to serve, lots of things that you can be involved with in the community uh, to let your light shine. So the hope that you will take advantage of all of those opportunities. We don't want to just be servants. We want to be better servants. We want to get better at what uh, we know we should be doing as followers of Jesus. As the sign says on the board and the sign says on the stage here, we're seeking something better than what the world has to offer. We want to be better, uh, better servants. And really, if I were to think about how can we become better servants, it simply comes down to two things. It simply comes down to two things. First of all, and perhaps most importantly, it comes down to your attitude. 
What's your attitude about being a servant? What's your attitude about service? And then secondly, if you have a good attitude about service, will you take advantage of the opportunities that God will absolutely give you if you're looking for them because your attitude is right? So very briefly, at the end of our, our lesson, we'll think about what does the Bible say, two, two instances about what the Bible says about what we need to be and how we need to be looking for opportunities. But really the most important thing that we can think about this morning is how can I have an attitude that is open to being a servant? And there's lots of places that you could go. There's lots of places in the New Testament that you could go where Jesus talks about, where the apostles talks about, where the writers talk about being a servant. But I don't know of a better place. I don't know of a better scripture, a better passage to go to than Philippians. Philippians specifically chapter 1, we'll start in verse 27 here in just a second. Let's think about having a, a better attitude about being a servant. And we'll break that down into three things. First of all, we'll look at from verses 27 through uh, the end of the chapter, verse 30, uh, what, is, what is our relationship together that helps us to be better servants? Then we'll look at the, this idea of, uh, of instead of looking for ourselves, we ought to look out for other people. And then thirdly, we'll look to this example that we have in Jesus as we think about having a better attitude. So let's start in Philippians chapter 1. And verse 27, only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I've got to stop there because I can't get over that phrase. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. When you hear that, what do you think? When you hear that, that phrase, what, what comes to your mind? When you hear this idea of, of being worthy, what comes to your mind? As I was thinking about it today, I thought about uh, many of us who are uh, young dads or dads in general maybe, uh, but especially young dads because that's, that's where I'm at. And I thought about uh, young dads of girls. And I thought, man, maybe I should ask Evan. Hey, Evan, what, what, what is a, a, when your daughter grows up, Hazel grows up, what's a, a, a boy going to have to be to be worthy of hazel that's going to be a hard thing to do right i would think that that would be a hard thing to do i could ask ryan i said ryan what about uh valley may what about pearl what's what's a what's a young man going to have to be how how good of a young man is he going to have to be to be worthy of marrying your daughter i thought about asking ryan mcqueen because he's got three daughters bless him and he is blessed uh but what what kind of a young man is a a man going to have to be to be worthy worthy of marrying his three daughters. He says, Paul says to the Philippians, only, almost nonchalantly, hey, only do this, not really a big deal, only live your life, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live a life worthy of God leaving heaven, coming to this earth, living a perfect life, dying a horrible death, and miraculously raising from the dead. Only live your life worthy of that. That's not a small statement. That's not something you can just gloss over really quickly. We need to put some thought into that. And these verses will tell us perhaps how we can do that. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent. Okay, well, just to set the stage here, Paul is in prison when he writes the book of Philippians. So he's saying, hey, I want to come and see you, but I'm detained literally right now. I can't be there with you. I'm in prison. But you live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I'm able to come to see you or I'm absent, I'll hear about your circumstances that you are standing firm. And Notice what he says here, that you, this is the plural you, he's talking to all of the Christians, but he's not talking to all of them individually, he's talking to all of them collectively, so that you 
are standing firm in one spirit with one mind contending together for the faith of the gospel. Live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Have one mind, one spirit contending together for the gospel of Christ. Again, what, what does that look like? If I want to live, and, and I think, you know, the Bible tells you, the Bible tells me, the Bible tells us, live a life worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? Well, he, the very next thing, the very next thought process, and it's going to be echoed in the next few verses as we go throughout the rest of this passage. He says, you're going to do that only together. You're only going to do that together. What does that look like? Well, let me, let me demonstrate quickly what that looks like to you. Jim Dale, Jim Dale, that means that, that you get to work with and have the privilege and the honor of working with uh, alongside our newest sister in Christ, Layla, who was just baptized on Wednesday. Praise God for that. Layla, Jim, Jim, Layla. You guys get to work together for the gospel of Christ. Layla, you get to work all the way up top with Stacy Bennett, all right? All the way up top. Stacy, Layla, Layla, Stacy. All right? Uh, so you get to, to work together. Stacy, you're going to work with Tim Anderson, who sits way back here in the back underneath the balcony. You may not even see him during worship, but you get to work with Tim together for the gospel of Christ. Tim, you're going to work. You're going to come up here, and you're going to be able to work with these teenagers. Specifically, you're going to work with Lily McCown, and you're going to have the opportunity to have an influence on her and her to have an influence on you. And Lily, you're going to have the opportunity to work with Miss Pat Shinsky together together you know what you know what you know it's it's just a, a brief side note i knew exactly where the six of you were going to sit today i knew exactly where you were going to sit today and there's nothing wrong with that unless that's the only fellowship that you're getting with people because that's not together it's good to sit with people that you, you're close to that you know that you love that you have a good relationship with but Jim, you got to work with Layla. Layla, you got to work with Stacy. Stacy, you got to work with Tim. Tim, you got to work with Lily. Lily, you got to work with Pat. We've got to know each other. We've got to do this thing. We were, we're called. We're commanded. We're told live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then the very next thing that he says is, you will do this together. Again, I, I know that. It's natural and it's okay and there's nothing wrong with having people that are, are closer to you and you're friends with and you see more often than others. But we've really got to continue to work and to develop this relationship of us as a family together because that's one of the ways that we will help to spur one another on to loving good deeds as Hebrews chapter 10 tells us. We spur one another on to loving good deeds. Why? So that we can live a life worthy of the death burial and resurrection the gospel of christ we've got to do that we've got to take it seriously know what notice what the the response is or the uh the result is of this in verse 28 in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation for you and that too is from god so we've got opponents you know think about he's writing to to those in philippi in the first century they certainly have opponents um they have people that are against them we today have people who are our opponents people that are against us more importantly they and we share a common enemy in satan who's trying to destroy our lives trying to destroy our faith Faith, uh, but he has called us to live a life worthy of the gospel and he says when you do that together then you are not alarmed by anything that your opponents might do 
it sounds so much like Romans chapter 8 where he ends that chapter by saying, if God is for us, who is against us? If I were to paraphrase that, the attitude in which he is presenting this after he makes this long list of very difficult things, it could almost be that Paul is saying, if God is for us, who cares who's against us? If I've got God and we are together living this life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, who cares who's against us? Let's turn them to God, let's turn them to Jesus, but I don't care. And notice, it's not that it's an easy life, because he keeps going and he doesn't stop there. Verse 29, for to you, Christians, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And you say, wait a second, Andy, I like all this other stuff we've been talking about. You know, the togetherness, unity, that's nice, you know, that's good. Uh, Living this life worthy of the gospel of Christ, and all that's good. But then, suffering? Suffering for the cause of Christ? Why would I be interested in that, because we had the same struggle, verse 30, which you saw in me and now here to be in me. This is where it really gets to, uh, to brass tacks or to nitty gritty or whatever you want to say, whatever uh, phrase you want to use. Are you really in it because of the benefits? Or are you in Christ? Are you living the Christian life because you believe it to be true? Because you be- believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ lived, died, and resurrected. And we really got to get to the point where we have that strong faith. So first of all, when we think about having a better attitude of being, of being better servants, it starts with together. We've got to spur one another on. We've got to encourage one another. We've got to, the ones that are lagging behind, we have to pull them forward and encourage them. Those that are, are leading us have to do it with, with strength and might and wisdom. We, we've got to do it together. That's the only way we'll live a life of service, the only way that we'll live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. But then notice this next passage in verse, uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. The word instead is not used here, but again, if I were to paraphrase it, I would probably paraphrase it uh, with the word instead. I'll tell you what I mean here in just a minute, but let's, let's continue what he says here, okay? Uh, he's just finished in verse 29 and 30. It's been granted for your sake to suffer for Christ. Therefore... If there is any encouragement of Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, basically what he's saying there is, if there's anything good about being a Christian, hold on to that. Hold on to the good things, because there will be difficult things. You're going to suffer, but if there's anything good, hold on to that, and he's going to keep going on and saying, and instead, let go of yourself. Let go of yourself. Verse number two, fulfill my joy. That you think the same way, again, here's this unity, this togetherness, think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, do nothing, here it is, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory. Now your version may be worded slightly different there, but I like the way that it said selfish ambition. Okay, what is your ambition? What are your goals? What are your dreams? They can't just be just about you, Christian. How are you going to use your talents, your abilities, your goals, your dreams to help other people? Or vain glory. Vain glory. What is, what is glory? Well, glory is when you achieve something and other people recognize that and praise you for it, then you are glorified. And we like that feeling, don't we? Everybody shake your head this way. Okay? We like the feeling of being glorified, of being patted on the back, of, being, of hearing, boy." We like that feeling. All of us do. Or maybe it's just me. But I think we all like that feeling. Okay? But he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory. Who are we supposed to glorify? 
Who is our life supposed to glorify? You see, when, when, we, when we are the ones being glorified, oftentimes it ends up being vain. For maybe perhaps for our own vanity, the way that we feel about ourselves. But another way to think about vain glory is glory that doesn't really accomplish anything. When it's just about you. So do nothing from selfishness, selfish ambition, or vain glory, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, there's no explanation needed for that phrase. The application of that phrase is extremely difficult, but it is not hard to understand. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Verse 4, not merely looking out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Uh, you may notice there in verse number 4 that, that merely is, is italicized. Uh, what that means there, most of you are aware of this. That word's not actually there in the original language, but they, they put it there to try and help it make a little more sense, okay? So the way that it would actually read would say... Uh, Consider one another as more important than yourselves, not looking out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And here's where I would put that, if I were to paraphrase this again, put that instead in, not looking out for your own personal interest, but instead for the interests of others. And I think that's only strengthened by the next verse when it says, have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. That Jesus wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't thinking about his own interest. Instead, he was thinking about our interest. Instead, he was thinking about his father's interest. Instead, of living a long, happy, healthy life as a carpenter. He lived a sacrificial life as the Son of God, the Lamb of God. So when we think about this attitude of, of service, it's going to be a lot easier if I think of you as more important than me. If I don't look out for my own personal interests, but instead I look out for yours. Now, I know how crazy that sounds. I know how radical that sounds. I know how different that sounds than what everybody else in the entire world does. But I'm not calling you to that. Jesus is. I'm not telling you to do that. God is. Don't look out for your own personal interest. Instead, look out for the interest of others. And I know that won't be easy. And I know we won't just, you know, turn a switch and snap our fingers and, and we'll do that automatically. But that is the goal. That is the calling to which we have been called. Lastly, as we think about how can we have a better, better attitude, we have this example. Of course, the example of Jesus uh, that we receive and then the command or the, uh, the expectation that will follow that. Let's read verses uh, 5 through 15. Have this way of thinking. Okay, what way of thinking? Not looking out for your own personal interest, but instead for the interests of others. Have that way of thinking in yourselves because it was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, he willingly let it go. He laid it aside. He emptied himself, verse 7, by taking the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and, though, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to, glory of, to the glory of God the Father. Again, the glory of who? God the Father. So we have this, this example that is clear that, that, again, we as Christians, we take it for granted what Jesus did. We, we're happy, we're thankful, we're, we're certainly grateful to, to take the, the benefits out of what Jesus did, but we just, 
We just don't appreciate it. We just, again, we just kind of, yeah, Jesus died for us. We just kind of gloss over it. We just act like it's not a big deal. But again, Philippians, Paul, Paul tells the Philippians, no, this, this is a big deal. Jesus was God. And instead of, instead of you know, what, what, what do you do sometimes when, uh, well, maybe, hopefully you don't do this, but you've seen videos uh, of people who are uh, powerful, maybe they're the, the mayor of a town, or maybe they're a senator, or maybe they're, uh, you know, a, a police officer or something like that, and they get pulled over, what do they do? Hey, you know who I am, don't you? I'm the, uh, I'm the police chief in the next town over. You know, I know your boss. Or, hey, I'm the mayor, or hey, I'm this, or hey, I'm that. They, they grasp onto, look at who I am. But Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. When God the Father made the plan that Jesus would be the sacrifice, Jesus willingly lay aside his Godheadness, his crown, if you will, and instead he put on the crown of thorns and died on the cross. Have that attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, laying aside what you think you deserve. And then verse number 12 and through 15 Okay, so that's the example, so let's follow it. Verse number 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, okay? We are saved by grace through faith, absolutely. But Paul says here, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is an effort, there is a purpose, there is a, an oomph that we have to put behind the life that we live as a follower of Christ. With fear and trembling. That word fear simply means reverence. And that word trembling, I looked it up this week to try and try to understand a little bit better. That word trembling carries with it the idea of, okay, I'm approaching my work, my life, following Jesus with fear, with reverence. I'm doing what I do because of who God is and I respect him and I love him and I want to honor him with my life. And then with trembling, it's this idea of knowing that even in doing my absolute best to give everything I can to God because he's worthy of that, This trembling idea means, but I still know I desperately need God. That the very best that I could give still is lacking. And I still desperately need God. So I'll work out this salvation that I have with reverence to God. He is worthy of everything I can give him. But with the recognition that everything I give him, he deserves so much more. And I desperately need him to fill those holes. Verse number 14. Let's go back to 13. For it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. That's hard for some of us, isn't it? Verse 15. So that you, why should we do this? Why should this be our approach? Why should we be better servants? So that you will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine like stars in the universe. So we have this, this example of Jesus. And then we have this expectation that because Because I recognize, because you recognize how good God is, that you have made up your mind, you've got a good attitude, that I'm going to give him everything that I can, but still recognize that I need every bit of him in order to be pleasing to him. So that's the attitude. How can we be better? 
How can we seek something greater than what the world has to offer? Well, you've got to recognize that, yes, I can't get over the idea that I'm supposed to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. I can't get over the idea that I'm supposed to act like Jesus, not just with the people that I love, or not just when it's convenient, or not just when there's a service day, but I'm supposed to act like Jesus every day in every interaction with every person I meet. That's the expectation that God has for you if you are a follower of Christ. And then we think briefly again about opportunity. Let's turn over to uh, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 975. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. You're probably familiar with these verses, but let's read them again. And wrapping up his letter to the Galatians, which is an amazing book. Hope you take the time to study it. Paul tells the Galatians, And let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. That word opportunity there, I think in the, in the, the context of what's going on, I think it can mean one of two things, perhaps both things, okay? Uh, while we have opportunity, it, it seems as if when he's writing these things, while you're alive and breathing, you have opportunity. While you have the chance to do something good for somebody, do something good for somebody. But then also the, the word there, opportunity, it, it carries with it not, uh, an opportunity is not something that just happens. There have to be a, a, a certain number of things that kind of all fall into place and, and then there it is. There's your opportunity. Uh, to take advantage of something. Maybe, maybe you're wanting to do something. You're wanting to speak to someone. You're wanting to, uh, you know, say something to a, someone in a certain way. Maybe it's a, a touchy subject, a difficult subject. Uh, maybe it's someone you've never talked to before and you're looking for what? You're looking for an opportunity to speak to them. Okay. Uh, to, to say the things that you need to say to them, to have the conversation that you need to have with them. And then, you know, sometimes if, if you're looking for it, you can say, okay, well, you know, the class just wrapped up and, and, you know, maybe you've got to talk to the teacher about, you know, a bad grade that you made, class just wrapped up and everybody else has left the room and, and, and I, the teacher's here and I'm here. There's an opportunity for you. So, so maybe in some ways, I definitely think while you have opportunity, you're alive today, so you have an opportunity to do good. Do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. But also look for, if I'm looking, trying to be a better servant, look for opportunities that God has given to you. There are people in your life that only you can reach with the gospel of Christ. There are people in your life that only you have the opportunity to do something good in the moment and the time that they need it the most. Because you have a relationship with them. You work with them. You live with them. You go to church with them. You're happening by and, and something happens and they have a need and you're available. Look for those opportunities. Then if you want to turn to uh, the passage that was read to us earlier, Matthew chapter 5, read verses uh, 13 through 16. That's on page 810. Matthew 5, uh, let's read verses 13 through 16. Uh, I've said many times before, this is the first scripture I ever memorized and it still holds great weight in my life. Matthew five thirteen through 16. Usually verse 14 is the one we focus on, but I want us to back up a little bit to verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now we don't use salt the same way that people used it back then. They used it for a lot more things. We just put it on our food and uh, raise our cholesterol and that sort of thing. Uh, but 
But they used salt for very specific things and it had a very specific purpose. And, and the point of what it says here, much like what it says about lighting a lamp and putting it under a basket in the next verse, is listen, Christian, Christian, you're called to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You're called to serve whenever you have an opportunity to treat other people as if they are more important than you, to consider their needs above your own needs. That's what you are called to do. That is being salt. But if salt has become tasteless, it's not good for anything anymore. Christian, if you're not doing that, you're missing what God has given you this new life, made you a new creation so that you would do. That's the purpose of being a Christian in this life. You are the light of the world. A city set up on a hill, it cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden, Christian. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify, not vainly, but they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Christians, we're called to be servants, and it it sounds like such a cliche thing. And it can be if you allow it to be. But you are called, you are commanded, and an example is given for you, and you are told you must be. If you are a follower of Jesus, you must be a servant. And not even a servant. Like There, there are some amazing people out in the world who are much better servants than many of us are, aren't there? Yes. To our detriment, to our judgment, There are people who don't know Christ or have rejected Christ that are better servants than I am. And I'm called to be a servant as a follower of Jesus. I'm called to something better than what the world has to offer. This morning, what kind of servant are you? This morning, who do you serve? Ultimately, anything that you would do for other people, you do because you're a follower of Jesus and he's the Lord of your life. I don't want to condemn you for a lack of service. I just want to encourage you to be a better servant. And it's difficult, and it's not, it's not going to be something that you're going to do automatically, but together, we can do it. We can help each other. We can hold each other accountable to do it. Now, what happens oftentimes when I preach sermons like this is there's, there's going to be Two reactions, oftentimes, and you, t- you figure out which group you fall into, okay? The people who are already servants, they're feeling guilty right now. People, listen, the people who are already servants, the people who are extremely active, and they're at every event, and they're at every service project, and they do all kinds of stuff, even in their personal life, to be great servants, you know how they're feeling? They're feeling guilty right now. And then there's other people who don't do a whole lot of service, who don't take advantage of opportunities that the congregation may give them or God may give them more importantly. And they don't get it. Which one are you? Or can there be a third option? Or maybe you just simply recognize I could be a better servant. And you determine in your mind to have a better attitude. To be a better servant. To think about people more important than yourself. And to give your life in service to Christ by giving your life in service to others. Do you need to make a change this morning? Then make the change. Christian, make the change. 
dedicate your life to follow Jesus the way that he would have you to. If you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus Christ pulled the ultimate act of service by laying aside his God, godness, coming down to this earth and becoming a person just like you and me, living that life perfectly, dying that horrible death, and raising from the grave on the third day. If you want the hope of that glory in your life so that you can glorify God with your life, we'd love to study with you about that. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.